You are listening to History Man, where we walk in the footsteps of heroes and proclaim freedom reigns. We continue our episode with Trey Dunaway and smallpox in the 18th century and how it was eradicated. So welcome again, Trey. Thank you, Eric. Good to be back with you. I can't, I can't, because this is the exciting part about smallpox fighting. I mean, this is, this is the battle that occurred all throughout the 18th century until its ultimate victory just after the turn of the 19th century. And I think our story left off after we talked about the English lady, the slave, the Boston minister, the physician. I think we left off to, at about 1721 in Boston, right. where a young doctor figured out how to protect his son. And he offered this protection to Boston residents. And what he discovered with, with his treatment, if you naturally got smallpox in Boston in 1721, you had about a 14% mortality. And that's just by you picking up smallpox generally through the lungs. But if you engrafted the smallpox, which is what Dr. Boylston did, that mortality dropped to 2.5%. Well, I've got to ask, and, and maybe you know the answer, maybe you don't know the answer, but he used his son as a guinea pig in this situation. Did he know the percentages before he actually used the son as the guinea pig? Only from what he had read. Okay. On, only from what he had read. But, you know, people are willing to go to uh, great lengths to go to the Laetrile clinics, for instance, in Mexico as a cancer treatment in our lifetimes. Okay. Because it's, it's a shot. And if you know uh, an epidemic's coming through and you can mitigate that, people are willing to do a little bit of experimentation. Wow. I mean, just look at all the, look at all the protein and look at all the dietary supplements you can buy, none of which are FDA approved, but they don't, and they don't make any claims, but think of people that buy the dietary supplements and the special potions and things that make part of you grow bigger or smaller or whatever. People are people, and they were that way in the 18th century as well. Wow, okay. So you had, you had uh, regulations, or, uh, even we, we talk about today with COVID, where certain places you have to quarantine before you go. Well, they had those same regulations in the 18th century. There were legal restrictions to inoculation, which were common in New York and New England and in the South, including Charleston. Regulations were a little more lax in the middle colonies. And in Philadelphia, quarantines were rare and restrictions on variolation were essentially non-existent. So you had different governments, different entities in the colonies, which would allow you to do these experimentations, which wouldn't allow you to do it. Again, it's, the, it's, the, it's your government here to help you making decisions that is not without really a knowledge of, number one, nobody knew what caused smallpox at the time, but a knowledge of what a proper medical treatment would be. Does that, does that sound vaguely familiar with politicos telling you things that seem to be unproven or false at, at given times? And it, Nothing has changed, Eric. Nothing has changed. Yeah, well, it's a tough balance, is it not, between uh, this, your population being scared and your leaders trying to, to, uh, to taper down that, that, uh, that paranoid atmosphere it's exactly the same and you know they're trying to minimize it but yet they because they don't have a solution it's 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 a lot of hope and promise and future predicting but they didn't even know what caused the disease right. or much less how to treat it 
But this went on with inoculations and variolations. Let me explain the difference. If you inhale smallpox and you, it goes into your lungs, it can immediately spread. If you get it through a cut or through a breakdown in your skin, it will cause a local reaction and a slower growth, allowing your immune system to have time to react. And that immune system through that cut, that inoculates you from the inhalation? It would inoculate you from the virus, from whether the virus it's inhaled or any other mode of transmission. Okay. Right. But again, if you take a deep breath of COVID, you're going to be a world of hurt the same way you would have been with smallpox. Okay. Right. But in this instance, what Dr. Boylston did is he took pus from an infected smallpox sore and he put it into the skin of his patients they would have a local reaction to the smallpox. They would get a skin infection around that. Is this like the TB test? Kinda. Okay. Kinda. Right. Uh, but you would get a local infection, but it would not systemically spread rapidly. Okay. So your body's immune system would have time to mount defenses and to protect you from death because you're, you're, you, you give the body time to react to the infection to build up the immunity systems that our body is designed to have without being overwhelmed by a, a viral overload. So by 16... 17? I'm sorry, 17. Um, inoculation remained controversial, but it increased with successive outbreaks until 1764, when, uh, this is quoting from an historic record, quote, for the first time, a smallpox year failed to stand out as one of unusual mortality. So by 1764, people had kind of caught on to Dr. Boylston's idea that inoculation was not bad. It beat getting the natural smallpox. You still had smallpox, but you just stood a lot better chance of survival. So in those instances, you'd take live smallpox well, it was live smallpox. They, they would get it out of pus from a, a skin wound and you would engraft it or insert it in under through a cut into the skin of a, a patient you're trying to inoculate. And then they would get a localized reaction and that would protect them from getting smallpox. So that was how all of 18th century medicine up until the time of William Jenner that's how all of smallpox was defended against by the army. So there was a scourge of North American smallpox scourge, and it went from 1775 to 1782. So when you say North American smallpox, is this a localized strain of smallpox unique to North America? Or is, like, or is it just that it was geographically... It was uh, geographically isolated. isolated. It was the same spread. It was the same strain. Okay. But listen to the dates, 1775 to 82. So what, what went on between 1775 and 1782 in the North American continent? So we had the Revolutionary War. You have a war. And you see, wars, wars allow disease to spread more rapidly because you have lots of transients, people coming and going, there is deprivation, people, people don't eat well, they, don't, they can't take care of themselves, they're more susceptible to disease. So anytime in history when you have a war going on, 
you will find an uptick in naturally occurring transmissible infectious diseases. I think on the outside, we think, okay, well, everybody's just staying in place and the war is happening around it, but there were vast migrations of people from the north to the south, from the south to, to other parts to get away from the war. Uh, so there is a vast migration back and forth uh, with armies, with, with citizens trying to, to flee that particular area. So uh, I can see where that became an issue. That's exactly right. Um, you know, in 1780 in Charleston, there was a smallpox epidemic, and that was after 20 years of absence of smallpox in Charleston. Well, what was going on in 1780 in Charleston? You had a British-occupied city. And certainly, if, if not from the troops that actually came into Charleston in 1780, but you had a lot of commerce going back and forth with the British islands and, and British ships coming and going, at a, at, a, at a probably a more rapid rate than in previously. Sure. And with the deprivations of war, it was a setup for smallpox. So all of this is totally predictable. And it certainly was in the 18th century. Wow. So, wow. so Washington actually had his troops inoculated. Uh, when they were in Valley Forge, he had these troops inoculated because he understood that if he could prevent having smallpox spread among his troops, then he would have a better chance of having a, a, a fighting unit that would not be disturbed by, by smallpox. Well, how did, it, how did Washington make that happen? He had soldiers in New England all the way down to, to Florida, right? I mean, they're going back and forth in Florida as well. But uh, how did Washington inoculate all his troops? Well, remember, you know, I'm a general surgeon. Okay. Washington was just a general <laughs> but but he could he could order his troops and this happened at valley forge okay so again winter time right confinement right closed spaces middle of a war people people without proper nutrition couldn't stay warm it would, it would be a perfect breeding ground for an infectious disease like smallpox mm -hmm. so he could order his troops to undergo the inoculation so come spring, he's got healthy and happy. Well, I don't know how healthy or happy they were, but they were certainly not infected with smallpox. So Washington could just order that and make it happen. Have you seen those orders that he sent out? And maybe uh, I, I have not. Okay. I have not. Right. But he was in charge, and he told them to inoculate, sure. and that's what they did. You know, even smallpox in South Carolina. Remember, Gates had three thousand troops. Two-thirds were militia. Cornwallis had about 2,000 troops. One-third were militia. They were treated to Hillsborough with 700 men. 1,000 were left prisoners to, to Charleston prison ships. And Camden became the smallpox center for Patriot prisoners with jail and prison pen is, is, what, is what it was called. So, so you had, again, uh, this is where Andrew Jackson was here in Camden as a young man. And he and his brother, Robert, had smallpox when he was imprisoned in the Camden jail. Um, Andrew Jackson survived. His brother, Robert, died, which didn't really endear him to the British no. for putting him and his brother into jail That's right. where his brother, Robert, died. So, again, smallpox follows diseases and armies, uh, and that's exactly what had happened in, in the colonies even here in Camden. 
So this was a smallpox center. When it turned out that it seemed Kershaw County and Camden were the epicenter of the COVID outbreak in March, it's not the first time Camden has been an epicenter of an infectious disease, smallpox included. Ironies of history there. Well, again, history, nothing ever changes. So it's just a different disease, a different era, a different time. But... um, that, that is the story about how, how smallpox was partially defeated in the colonies. You had, you had a, a series of events that started off in Turkey and with, a, with, a, with, a, with an African slave who knew how to defend against smallpox in their own culture, in their own society. And that information was transmitted and through the laborious process, think FDA approval for a vaccine, Science takes time. You don't want to jump into something that's going to cause more harm than good. Same thing went on then. And that brought variolation into effect. And that is how smallpox was mitigated. It wasn't defeated, but it was mitigated in the colonies in the 18th century by this slow, steady transmission of scientific evidence, again, without the knowledge of what a virus or a bacteria was, but just through common practice and sharing other cultural information, it allowed people in the 18th century in the colonies to defend themselves against smallpox, leading all the way up to where the commanding general of the entire continental forces says, okay, I'm convinced, let's inoculate these men so they would remain a fighting force for Washington for his eventual victory. Very good. Thank you so much.